Good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, a question that I think we, we wrestle with is the question, who am I? Who am I? Identity. I remember a time in my own life when I was uh, moving off to college and, and for my entire life up to that point, I, I saw my identity as, you know, based on my, my parents, my family, and for the first time, here I was moving away, and I had to ask the question, who am I? Who am I? And in a way, we have all wrestled with that, and, and a lot of us maybe are here today wrestling with that very question, who am I? Where do I find my identity? I think as we, as we wrestle with that question, though, there's a quest, another question that kind of comes up, and it is not who am I, but who was I? Who did I used to be? Because when we start talking about who I am now, we all came from somewhere. We all are changing. So you can't just say, well, who am I now? You have to know who, who did I used to be? Or maybe, to put it differently, where did I come from? Where did I come from? Because that shapes our identity. Our past shapes who we are today. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is answering that question. He's answering the question of identity, who we are. In Ephesians 1, he gives us a clear vision of, of Christ. He, he reminds us that Christ has been raised from the dead, that He is seated at the right hand of the Father above all rule, above all authority. Nothing can come close to this King in terms of authority. And then in chapter 2, He turns His attention back to us and He's like, oh yeah, and by the way, and you, here's where you were before and here's who you are now. Listen, as Christians, our identity, if we're in Christ, our identity is different than the world. You know, the world tries to find identity in many different things. It tries to say that, well, first, I'm a, I'm a father or I'm a mother. I'm a husband or a wife. I'm a grandparent. It tries to find identity in success. I'm a successful person. I run such and such business. I, I am wealthy. I'm rich. I'm poor. That's where the world finds its identity. And if, if you... If you look, you'll notice that that's the boxes that, that the world tries to put people in. When you meet someone, a lot of times we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to try to put them in one box or another. Well, what box do they fit in? Listen, if we're in Christ, we don't fit in any of those boxes because our identity is not where the world finds identity. As Christians, our identity is simply two words. In Christ. In Christ. And so Paul turns his attention in Ephesians 2 to answer those two questions. Where did we come from and who are we now? Where did we come from and who are we now? And as we read, what we're going to find is that we were once enslaved to sin. But now, God has saved us by His grace. Join with me as we read Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hear what God says through the Apostle Paul. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Two greatest words in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, as we come to Your Word, where Paul, under Your inspiration, reminds us of where we once were, and who we are now in Christ. Help us, Lord. Help that to shape our entire identity. Lord, help that to shape everything about our lives. Father, we need You to come and remind us this morning that we were not okay, that we were not uh, always where we are now, but Lord, that we were once enemies of You. And Father, help us to see that it is only because of Jesus that we can say that we have gone from enemies to friends. Lord, I pray that this message this morning, Father, would, would impact our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So he tells us where we come from, who we once were. And, and, and what he tells us is that we're dead in sin. We're dead in sin. That's where he starts, verse 1. And you were dead. What does that mean? Of course, he's talking spiritual death here. You were dead. What does that mean? Well, he tells us what it means. And he, he tells us, that it meant something outwardly and it meant something inwardly. He tells us what it means outwardly. He says, you were dead, look, in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Okay? And look at what he says next. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. When you think about dead people, what you'll find out pretty quickly is the dead don't do anything because the dead are dead. That's why he uses that phrase to speak of our, our spiritual lives. We were dead. You know, a lot of times we, we hear the metaphor, you know, that we're like drowning men out in the ocean and, and Christ comes and he throws us a life, a life preserver and we just need to grab a hold of it. But what we see here, what Paul is telling us is that, may, that probably isn't the best analogy. We're not just people whose lives are in danger before Christ. Listen, we are dead. We're at like the bottom of the ocean. 
a lifeless corpse. And what that means for us is that we are like we were like dead men walking. We were following something. Notice he says that we were following the course of the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air, uh, which is, is Satan, which is the devil. Okay, so, so notice this. Before Christ, we, as free as we thought that we were, we were actually not free. And as free as people in the world say that they are, and if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, you may say, well, I'm free. You're not free. Notice, that's what the deadness of sin does to people. Is it makes us think, man, I am so free, but all the while we're in bondage following the world and following, ultimately, the devil. Notice, not just outwardly are we following these outward influences, but actually, inwardly, we see something similar happening. Look at what he says next. He says um, there in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. So he's saying this deadness in sin is not just something externally that's happening to us. It's not like we're just externally following the world, but internally we are also corrupt. Internally, he's saying, before Christ, we, we just followed our passions. We were enslaved to our passions. Once again, we were not free. We were in chains to our desires, to these evil, sinful passions. And so he tells us that we're dead. But notice the second thing he tells us, that we were condemned. We were doomed. He says, and we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. By nature means we were born this way. We were born, listen, the only nature we're born with is a sinful nature. You hear people all, all, all over the country talk about different things and say, well, I was born this way. Well, in, in a way, they sort of were. We were all born as sinners. We were all born sinfully. And listen, we were all born facing God's wrath by nature. The wrath of God that he talks about here is God's just eternal punishment for sin. It is a wrath that does not just go for a time period, but it is a wrath that is eternal. And we are facing that wrath. Paul uses language that if, if we look closely, you'll, you'll notice he, he, he switches here between you and we. He starts off saying, you were dead. And then in verse 3, he switches, among whom we all, and, and most scholars look at that and say, well, what he's doing there is he's starting off talking to the Gentile readers, you know, the pagans, the heathens. He's writing to them saying, you were once this way. And then in verse 3, he turns and says, but we Jews, we're not any better shape than you are. We're not any better off. And, and why is that important? It's important because Paul doesn't just let the religious people off. And say, well, you know what? Some of you people were really bad before you knew Jesus. 
But there were some of us who were religious and we were all right. Listen, that means that even the most religious people you can find, even the people that go to church week after week after week, even the people that you see doing religious acts all week long, even they were by nature just as corrupt and just as doomed as even the vilest heathen out in the world. Listen, that is what we all face. That is the common nature that we have. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that seems hopeless. That seems hopeless. There's no way for a dead person to be anything but dead. So Paul turns his attention from what we used to be to what we are now. But before we go there, what made the difference? Think about it. What made the difference? If you're in Christ this morning, what made the difference from where you were before to where you are now? Is it that you got your, your, your act together? Is it you started going to church? Is it you, you decided you were going to clean up your life? You're going you to make better for yourself. Now, what I want to call your attention to this morning is the difference is actually the first two words of verse 4. But God. But God, the greatest two words in all of Scripture. We were going our own way. Listen, but God found us. We were walking in the flesh. We were enslaved to its passions. But God has set us free. We were doomed, but God. We were enslaved to alcohol, but God. We were enslaved to pornography, but God. Listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't, I don't know what you come in this room with, what kind of baggage you have, how hopeless your situation seems. But let me tell you this morning, what, however hopeless it seems, there is a but God for you. There is a but God for you. As hopeless as we were in our sin and in our deadness, God still came in and intervened. And listen, He and only He is the one that made the difference. You're not here because you're smarter. If you're in Christ today, you're not in Christ because you're more spiritually attuned. You're not in Christ because you got your act together. You're in Christ because God saved you by His grace. So he, tell, he, he turns his attention to who we are now. And he tells us that we are alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ. You know, if ever there was a, a hopeless situation, I would say it was found in John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick. And they sent for Jesus and they said, Jesus, you know, you, you better get here quick because Lazarus is sick. And the text says that Jesus waited where he was. And so Lazarus died. And then after a couple of days, Jesus shows up. And, and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were, were, were just hopeless. They're like, Lord, where have you been? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, well, don't you have faith? Don't you trust me? Well, I know you can do whatever you want. And, and, and there, it, it looks completely hopeless. 
The sisters are like, there's nothing we can do. He's been dead for four days. Lord, he stinketh, the King James says. Love it. He stinketh. Listen. What does Jesus do in that hopeless situation? He calls out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had been dead for four days, whose body was already decomposing, got up out of the grave and he vacated a tomb. A hopeless situation that Jesus completely brings hope to. God has saved us if we're in Christ. He has made the difference. Look at, look at his character there in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. You want to know God's character this morning? It is that. God's character is rich in mercy. This is, this is what is constantly repeated throughout the Old Testament. What we see in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. When we start seeing that God made the difference for us, the first thing we see about his character is that he is full of mercy. But I, I don't want us just to see his character. We also need to see God's motivation. His motivation for doing what he did. Notice what he says next. He says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Why did God do it? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. And listen, I don't know about you, but Paul could have just said, because he loved us. But that's not what he says, is it? In fact, he highlights the love. He shows us just how extravagant it is. Notice he says, because of the great love. But he doesn't even stop there. He says, with which he loved us. Kind of redundant, don't you think, Paul? But that's the kind of love that the Father has for us. An extravagant love. A great love, a love that he lavished upon us. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, we see even in a greater detail the, the, the great love that God has. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How has he blessed us? Listen. Even as he chose us, in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight. What, is it, what are those verses telling us? They're telling us that God loves us with an eternal love. From eternity past and forevermore, God has set His affections on us. 
And what I love about, about what Paul says there in Ephesians 1 is that God does not love us because we loved Him first. He loved us from eternity past when we hated Him. Listen, that's so important. That's so crucial because that means that in my B.C. days before Christ, when I wasn't looking for God, God was looking for me. That means that in your days, if you're a Christian before Christ, you weren't looking for God. You were looking for sex. You were looking for alcohol. You were looking for all these things that bring you pleasure. You were following the world. But thank God he was looking for you. Thank God he was looking for me. I love the old song. It says, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad that he did. Church, this is the greatest news that we have. That the Father has loved us with an extravagant love. A love that seeks us. A love that comes after us. So listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you may think you just came here this morning to attend church, maybe see what we're all about. What we're seeing here is that the reason you're here this morning is because you may not be looking for God, but let me tell you, He's looking for you. He's looking for you. And He's looking to pour His, uh, His bountiful love on you. We see God's rescue we see His character. He's rich in mercy. We see His motivation because of His love. And we see His rescue. Look at what God does. Look at how God turns us around. Verses 5 and following. He says, first of all, He made us alive. There towards the end of verse 5. He made us alive together with Him. Now that's, that's, that's crucial right there, the together with Him. It's so crucial because our identity is united with Jesus. Our identity is, is in Him. He wants us to know that the only way that we're made alive is in Him. If you take the in Him out, we're dead. We are completely dead. So He makes us alive. John chapter 5, verse 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, He says, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a time coming and is here now when I'm going to take spiritually dead people and I'm going to bring them new life. He makes us alive. Verse 6, He raises us up with Him. With him, He's referring to the resurrection of Jesus. You know, earlier I, I mentioned the story of, of Lazarus. It was just a foreshadowing of another hopeless situation when our king would be crucified and laid in a tomb to rot. But three days later, when all hope was gone, he was raised to life. He vacated a tomb. And what Paul is saying when he says that we have been raised with him, he's saying, hey, 2,000 years ago when Jesus vacated a tomb in the Middle East, we vacated our tombs as well. 2,000 years ago in some, in some way, I wasn't alive back then, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on back then, Jesus was raised from the dead, and that resurrection is mine too. 
And that means not just that one day I'm going to uh, be resurrected, that we're going to get new bodies, but it means here and now we're raised to new life. We're not the same person that we used to be. We are different and new. At the end of verse 6, he tells us the last part of God's rescue, that he seated us. He seated us. Now, I know you're, you're sitting right now in Florine, Louisiana, but there is a sense in which you are sitting with him in the heavenly places even now. It's kind of an already but not yet thing going on here. It hasn't happened yet, but we are seated with him. In Ephesians 1, Paul reminds us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Far above all rule, far above all authority. We're not kings. We're not queens. But we're sitting with him. And here's what that means for us. That means that the authority and the power that he has over the forces of darkness we share in. What that means for us on a practical day-to-day level is the thing you're struggling with the most that you feel like is defeating me. Man, I'm in bondage to it. I'm in chains to it. Paul's reminding you, hey, you've been seated with Christ. Those are lies. If you're in Christ, you have authority. You have power over the addictions, over the chains that bind you. They cannot bind you any longer. We have been seated with him. We have been seated with him. And so the question this morning, I think for many of us, if you are in Christ, if he has set you free, why are you living like you're still in bondage? If he set us free from sin, if he's given us new life, why do we still turn back and run back to the sin that we have been delivered from? Why do we, after he's taken the shackles off gloriously, why do we run back and put our arms right back in the shackles? He tells us in verse 7 that he will forever show his grace to us. God loves us now, and listen, there's nothing that we can ever do to stop that. Notice what he says in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's never going to stop. For all of eternity, we go from being objects of his wrath to objects of his grace. And for all eternity, we will exist to show just how great his grace is toward us. Paul finishes his thought here. He summarizes it. Verse 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith. You know, it's, it's easy for us to start thinking the longer that we walk with the Lord, and I'm, I'm really not that bad. I can really, you know, perform and, and, and God will accept that. And he reminds us that the only way that people are saved, hear this, is on the basis of God's grace. Through faith. 
all of our righteousness, all of our best works on the best day that we have, it's just filthy rags before God. And the only thing that will save us before God, the only plea that we can have before Him is the cross of Christ. We don't come pleading our works, but we come throwing ourselves on His grace. Notice he says it's the gift of God. God's grace and our faith is a gift from Him. It's all from Him. How beautiful the thing that He requires from us, He gives to us. Do you ever have a day where you're struggling with trusting Him? Listen, He's not just leaving you here to just muster up that faith somehow. Ask Him for help. Finally, he says that it's not a result of works. He says it's not your own doing. It's not a result of works. Salvation is based on grace. And because of that, it is not based on our performance. That's great news. That's great news. And so therefore, no one's going to be able to boast on that day and say, well, I, I, I'm better. I got in because I worked harder. We were dead in our sin. That's who we once were. Wherever, if you're a Christian in the room, wherever you come from, whatever your background is, we share that together. That we were all once that way. And we share the same transforming grace. And our identity is now, when we ask the question, who am I? I am in Christ. I am in Christ. We were dead in our sin. We need to realize where we came from. We've been made alive in Christ. We are His. Everything we are, everything that we will be, is His. We belong to Him. As we think this morning about responding to God's Word, I think the, the, the first and most important response is, if you're here this morning and you have not made that transformation yet, you're, I mean, we're, we're all on a journey here. If you're here this morning and you haven't experienced the but God, you haven't experienced the transforming work. You haven't experienced His forgiveness. Listen, this morning you are here for the purpose of hearing this good news and having the chance to respond to it. And so this morning I urge you to do that. This morning I urge you to uh, finally come to Him and surrender everything to Christ. Trust Him as your Savior, as your Lord, and receive His forgiveness. Receive transformation. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, for you, all I would simply say is rest. Rest. In what Christ has done for you. Sometimes we need to be told that. Right? Sometimes some of you, you get to working so hard and somebody says, you know, you know what you need? You just need, to, you just need to stop and rest. Paul's writing this letter to believers... I think so, to remind them. So he's saying, hey, why don't you stop and rest in what God has done for you? Stop spinning your wheels thinking that if you work harder and harder, he's going to love you more. No, his love for you is already extravagant. And worship because of that. We come in this place this morning to celebrate this gospel, this good news. So in just a moment as we stand and as we sing, Let's continue worshiping him because of his goodness and love. Father, we thank you for your word.
And Lord, we thank you that whatever our identity was before, whatever, uh, whoever we were before, you have radically changed us. You have made us a new person. Father, as we approach the time where we respond, Lord, I pray that that you would take this good news and you would plant it deep within us into our core. So that for those of us who are already in you, that we would rest in you. That we would stop trying to earn your love. We would stop trying to, to work our way in. That we would stop believing the enemy's lies, that we are failures, that we're not loved. And Father, I pray uh, for those who do not know you, as this, as this good news is pushed into their core, Father, that they would embrace it. Father, that they would, that they would, for the first time, realize that you have been after them, that you have been pursuing them in ways that we don't even know. And so, Lord, let this be the day on their journey where they finally come and say, I surrender it all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name.